And so we thank our sponsors for the month, Alon and Jenny Englinoff, who sponsored the Ilui Nishmas Avram Chai Ben Yosef Shimon. I also thank you to all of our weekly sponsors, Daniela and Avi Robinson, who have sponsored a memory of Avi's father, Morris Robinson, uh, on his fourth yard site, and by Sarah Gold in memory of Tachia Shirael Shimona Bad Baruch Halevi Vesara on her sixth yard site, and for Rafua Shalema for Chava Yochever Adas Batsara. She should be well. Uh, also, thank you to Avram and Miriam Deutsch, who sponsored the Ilui Nishmas Menachem and Shmuel Eliezer Veliba, uh, Miriam's father in his 10th year site, and by Jill and Robert Kaufman, Michal and Hanan Shaul, in memory of Tamar Ben Moshe and Azriel Ben Aryeh. And finally, by uh, we thank Baruch Brent Eisen and family, who sponsored in memory of Chaim Aaron Ben Benyamin HaKohen, Zichrono Livracha. Okay. So, today... Oh, well, yeah, why is it not on? Why is it not on here? Because I'm going to pronounce your, your father's name wrong. And the series is sponsored by Phyllis and Michael Miller, in memory of Phyllis's father, Dr. Meyer Weiner, whose yard site was Chafbet Tevet. Thank you. I think you might get a regular job out of this. This is very, very good. I apologize because it's not on the list. I like I wasn't uh, wasn't thinking there should there sheets every. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And leading off at that. The truth is, when I first became an assistant rabbi in Young Israel of Staten Island, the the most stressful moment of every week for me was was on Shabbos morning when I would get up to give my speech. I had to do the announcements and the mazel tovs first. There were, at that point, there was still a massive shul, you know, like 600 families. I just moved there. I didn't know anybody's name. And you're wishing Mazel Tov off of a sheet. And you don't know if, like, the person, you know, whose, ma- whose kid just got engaged is, like, literally sitting in front of you. And you're, like, not sure. It, 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 was, it was, I would get in, like, a break into a cold sweat every, every Shabbos morning making the announcements. And, you know, because if you, like, you're reading it off a sheet and he's sitting in front of you, if you don't smile and do a whole thing, like, of course you should know me, Rabbi. Didn't we meet once for 30, you know? <laughs> so, and anyway, so I still have, like, uh, nightmares from, from those moments. Okay. Uh, reason number 764 that I'm uh, happy to be a retired shul rabbi. Okay. So today's, in today's chapter that we're going to be learning, in uh, chapter 28, we find one of the, uh, the strangest stories in all of Sefer Shmuel, which is the story of Shaul and the sorceress, right? It's, it's pretty wild, wild stuff. Um, as, 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 and we find the continuation, though, of the overall theme, which is that as, as David is growing stronger and building a mini kingdom in Ekron, that's what we talked about last week, how he had, he essentially was, had his own little fiefdom in the middle of uh, Gaza, Shaul is heading in the complete opposite direction. He's unraveling before our eyes, right? He's going to a necromancer to bring Shmuel back from the dead, okay? So let's, let's start here at the very beginning where we're told once again that Shmuel dies. If you remember, this was already, we talked about this it was maybe a couple months ago, but it wasn't that many chapters ago that we were told that Shmuel died. And here we are, we're told again. Shmuel mate, and Shmuel was, it was dead. Uh, he dies. Vesvedulo kol Yisrael, and everybody uh, says, it has, you know, it came and was masped him, and eulogized him, like Baru barama ve'iro, right? And that's the first half of the Pasuk. And then we're told, Vishaul hisir ha'ovot v'tayidonim aretz. Totally, it, it, it's very awkward. This should really be a separate Pasuk, right? The, the second half of the Pasuk is that Shaul had gotten rid of all of the uh, Ovot and Yedonim. These are the people who are the, we'll talk about the exact definitions in a little bit, but these were the people, the necromancers, the, the people talking to the dead, doing all sorts of wacky sorcery stuff. Shaul had gotten rid of all those people. It's kind of an awkward Pasuk, um, but they are connected. They are very connected, as we'll see. Uh, and then we're told, Vayikavtsu plishtim vayavo vayachanu v'shunem. And the Plishtim got themselves together. We, and we know about this from the last chapter, from last week, because remember, uh, the, the king of the Plishtim was talking to David that he's planning to go to war. And David, maybe, you know, you'll come with me, right? You'll be my personal uh, secret service, my bodyguard. Uh, but now the Plishtim are coming and, and preparing for war. 
And Shaul gathered all of Israel together, and they were in Gilboa. And Shaul, when he saw this, this uh, camp of the Plishtim, he was afraid. Right? He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Okay, so this is the, the essential background for the chapter that is to come. Uh, now, we already learned about the death of Shmuel, as I mentioned before, in chapter 25. So why are we told about his death again? So what's this about? Background right, so it's essential for this chapter, right, for when Shaul is going to go to the, uh, the Balat Ov, this uh, necromancer lady, um, the sorceress, whatever we want to call her, uh, he's about to go to her to find out what's going to happen to him in the future. So the Malbim, and I have, I'm like, these days I'm all about the Malbim, because like, I'm also learning, aside from Sefer Shmuel, I'm learning all the end days prophecies, because I hang out with Christians. So it's like, it's like parlor talk, like, you, you know, or like you, get, you need to know what to talk about. You know, like this is, this is the stuff they love, the stuff that nobody, none of the Jews read. They know this stuff cold, right? But they know it superficially because they can't read Hebrew. So they only know the translations. But I'm learning it now, like every Shabbos, I choose a different one. I like, you know, I'm learning, I did Safania a few weeks ago. Amos, you know, like Yoel, whoever, whoever learned these books when we were growing up, nobody, right? They're amazing. And it's all about now, you know, in Zechariah chapter nine, all these different books. It's uh, just incredible. And the one who is, I find the most spot on of all the commentaries who really saw and, and predicted and, and, and explained it in a way that completely fits with what we are living through right now is the Malbim of Mayor Wisser. It's unbelievable. Like in, in the book of Ovadia, which is all about, you know, Edom collapsing. And I mean, it's crazy. He, he talks about how who's the one who's going to make Edom fall apart, meaning the West. Who is it? He tells us in the commentary, it's Yishmael. And he wrote this in the 1800s when Yishmael was, was like, you know, the Arabs were like a backwater. The Ottoman Empire was the sick man of Europe. Nobody would have thought the, the Arabs would be a threat. He wrote this then in the 1800s that this was going to be the, at the end of time, this is how, how the West is going to collapse through Yishmael. Right? Rame- the, what? He himself was from Ovadia, yeah, exactly. So, but I'm saying he doesn't mention Yishmael once in that in Ovadia, the one chapter of Ovadia, the shortest book in the, in the Torah, right, in the all of Tanakh. It's all about the collapse of Edom, but the one who, give, who tells us how are they going to collapse, right, in all of his commentary throughout, it's Ishmael, and that's the, the Malbim. I mean, he's so, he's, he's on fire. I mean, he's, he's incredible. And he's the one who explains Tzafania as telling us not to rely on superpowers like America. I mean, it's just, just incredible to read, to read the Malbim um, and his foresight. So I'm very into the Malbim these days. So the Malbim gives us four reasons why we have to be told now that Shmuel has died, right? It's like he, he keeps dying. So he died again, right? So why, so why, did Shmuel, right? why are we told again? So let's look, at, I broke it into, into little pieces to make it easier. So number two here. When Shmuel was alive, nobody would ever even think um, to talk to these kinds of uh, necromancer, sorcerer types. Right, who's going to try to talk to find out the future by talking to dead people? I mean, they had Shmuel who could tell you anything and everything you needed to know. So, who would bother to do this weird, wacky stuff and go to sorceresses and try to bring up people from the dead? It's creepy. Who needs it? Just go to Shmuel. He's such a nice man, right? With a smile, right? I envision Shmuel. I mean, everything we learned about Shmuel is that he was beloved by everyone. Everybody thought he was a member of their tribe, right? Everybody thought he was one of them. So, of course, you would go to him. Nobody even thought to go to such people. But now that Shmuel has died, right, we have a problem, right? Who is there to go to? Right, because in his days, during when Shmuel was alive, there was, we talked about how there was, a, like, there was an explosion of prophecy all around Shmuel. The Malbim himself said that like, the, the prophecy that came down on Shmuel was so great that anybody who was around Shmuel and hung around with Shmuel became prophets too. And so there were many prophets in Israel. But now that Shmuel died, it closed up. And so there was no one to speak to anymore. I love that he says both, right? The, the, the nevuah stopped, prophecy stopped, but also chazon, the vision was not there. People didn't have the same, not just prophecy, but also vision, the big picture vision. That sometimes I think we feel that we're missing greatly. 
People now began to have the Yetzir Hara again to go and talk to these sorceresses and people to find out about the future. How long was it between uh, Shmuel and uh, Nathan? Um, it's a good question. Good question. Not, not, not that long. Not that long. But it seems that there was a temporary closing up of prophecy. And Nathan was not the charismatic and... Uh, also, not, just not the prophet that Shmuel was, right? Shmuel was, Mo, right, Moshe of the Aaron, Bechoanav, Shmuel, Bechorei Shamo. He was equal to Moshe and Aaron. There was, right, this may, may have been the golden era of prophecy that died, with, that died with Shmuel. It's very possible. So, for this, right, and, and so, uh, you know, the, the people were, you know, then, you know, halishing for, to find out what's going to happen in the future, and, you know, that, that temptation came back again. So, the, right, vision is lost, and I think, you know, I think we find, you know, the, the same thing is true here with us. You know, it was, it was very dark during the time of the judges, the time of the Shoftim. And then there was a burst of light and clarity with Shmuel in his lifetime, which was a short lifetime. The rabbis tell us that he lived only 52 years as a young man. And then Shmuel dies and it gets dark again. Now it's going to get bright again. We know David is coming, right? We know how the story ends, right? We know that it's going to go. But this sort of like the, the light, the darkness and the light and darkness and then light. I think is very much our time, right? This is, and there, I, I don't have the chazal on me right now, but it, it compares the redemption to, right, to like an ayala, right, to, uh, to like a, right, a deer, right, which like you see it for a moment, then it disappears, you see it for a moment, then it disappears so fast, right? We have clarity, then we have lack of clarity, that is the era that we're living in, right? We have moments of great clarity. I mean, none of us were alive at that time, but we can imagine the Balfour Declaration. If you read about it, the dancing in the street, Right, these kinds of moments of great light, or 1967, right when all when people like the people woke up and realized that like that something in, in unbelievable just happened, right. And I remember uh, one of my rebbeim told me he was a kid, um, and everybody was handing out candy, like it was just like Hasidim and Chilonim hugging each other, handing out candy on the streets of Yerushalayim to each other, to each other's kids. Everybody was like, it was all of a sudden all the differences melted away. Right, brief moments of like absolute clarity. Right, Shmuel was this incredible moment of light, his lifetime, and then oh, it's back to being dark again. It can change in an instant, but that's part of Hashem's plan, right? And we need to know that. That's part of why we learn Tanakh, is because it helps us deal with the present. We have to know that there are going to be times of great darkness and times of great light, and it goes alternates back and forth on the way to redemption. So that's reason number one, right? Number two says the Malbim. <coughs> Um, and number three says here, When Shmuel dies, immediately, bam, right? The plishtim are getting get ready to, to attack the people of Israel. That's not an accident, right? Because the plishtim were afraid of the power of Shmuel, right? Even though David was there hanging out with the plishtim, they were still afraid of, of the people of Israel because of Shmuel. And now the, like this protector of Israel, kind of like the shade, or, you know, protecting us, right? He died. And so that only encourages our enemies. And it struck me, right? And this, I think, is very, it's really amazing um, because of the connection to our own time. Right? If you remember in Sefer Bamidbar, right? This number four. So the Kananim, the, the king of Arad, who dwelt in the south, he heard that Israel, the, the people of Israel were coming, and took some of them captive. We were told that it was really just one captive. They went to war for one captive. Probably what we should have done instead of trading 1,500 terrorists for Gilad Shalit, right? Maybe we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right now. But say, but Rashi tells us, what did they hear? Vayishma haknani melech harad. They heard that Aaron had died. And who, when it says Kanani, it really means the Amalekites. This is really the Amalekites, because they, they are the Kananim that lived in the south, and they pretended to be Canaanites. But for our purposes, it's the same idea. Aaron dies, and all of a sudden, our enemies are emboldened. Our enemies are emboldened. So, I don't, we think, do we have an Aaron today? Do we have a Shmuel today? We say that also about when big Tamidei Chachamim die. We say, we say that there's something that's 
For sure, for sure. But this connection between the death of, of, mm-hmm. a, of a Gadol be Israel and her enemies attacking us, I don't know, right? May, I mean, I don't know, the, the kind of, only the, the kind of names that I can think of, you know, maybe in the 20th century, people like Ruf Cook or the Lubavitcher Rebbe, they had such stature. But even that, it's hard to, right, to connect, right? These are Shmuel and Aaron were, you know, the top handful of greats of all time. But, but uh, in the next source, Rav Mordechai Rogal, I, I thought it was very beautiful how he explains this, because I think this applies to Shmuel as well, and this also makes it much more relevant for our time, which is always our goal here. So what, is it, what does it mean that he heard, right, that he heard about this? So, so the, the Chazal tell us that Aaron died, and then we lost the Anani HaKavod, and therefore, v'nitna reshut lehilachem b'Yisrael, and they felt that they had permission, like divine permission, that now they could fight us. Aaron, who semel hashalom, Right? Aaron was the sign, the symbol of peace. When it says that Aaron died, it means that peace among the people of Israel died. Aaron was the man who, who held everybody together. It wasn't Moshe. Right? Moshe was off on his own. He was in this very lofty and high place. Aaron was the man of the people. And Aaron was the man who kept everybody together. And so when Aaron died... Right, he, they, they, right. They all of a sudden they saw that they, they could come and attack Am Yisrael. Um, right, because when when if Aaron's alive and we're all together and we have peace among Am Yisrael, then nothing they could do against us will ever succeed. When there's peace among the Jewish people, right, that's it. They can't fight us. So, so a flip of this would be um, when the spies went into. Canaan originally, um, they said that, you know, uh, it was strange what was going on, but what was really happening was Eov had just died. And there's, there's one, uh, there's, there's a portion that say that Eov was the Tzaddik of, of that country. Ah. And that when he was alive, it wasn't the time to come in. But when he died, we could come in. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so, so, but, but it, whereas in the simple understanding, it's just like the merit of the great man. But what I think what's beautiful about this is that it's saying, and it wasn't just Aaron per se, it's because of what Aaron was able to do among the people. It's not really about the Gadol, but rather it's about the people and what the Gadol is able to do among the people, right? So, Matai mitchatseif ha'amalek la'amod l'negdenu v'la'aroch milchamotav imanu. So when does Amalek have the, have the gall to come and attack the people of Israel. And in many ways, right, you could say this is very much true of the, our enemies today. They are Amalek. Because what is Amalek? Amalek is a, is a cross between Esav and Yishmael, right? It's the, it's the grandson of, of Esav, right? But, all, but Esav's, you know, was married to the daughter of Yishmael. So Amalek is the combination of Asa, right, of Esav and Yishmael. So what, what are we fighting today? We're fighting Yishmael, and we're also fighting Esav, all the all these horrible people all throughout the West who take the side of, of Yishmael. And together they form, right, the, the one-two punch of Amalek. That's what we're fighting. So when does Amalek have the gall to fight us, we, the people of Israel? It's only when they see Pirud Halavavos, Vesina, Umachlokes, Bamachanenu, right, when they see that we're fighting with each other. Right? It's, like, it's crazy, you know, what we've experienced this year. Because that's the right moment, that's the opening where you can defeat the people of Israel. As it says in Megillus, It says in Megillus, that our, our, our pursuers, they can reach us, when can our enemies defeat us? Meaning, when we create separations between the people of Israel, we weaken ourselves, and, we, and then our enemy can smell it. And that's the amazing thing. Right? Our enemy, know, they, they were sensitive enough, spiritually sensitive enough to know when Shmuel died and what that did to Am Yisrael. They sensed the difference. Right? Just like our enemies are watching, they're reading the news. All of these last few years, they've been reading the news. They're not stupid. Our enemies are very smart and they know exactly what we're dealing with and when we're falling apart from the inside. Right? They sense that. They know that. 
So it's it, it's it's really incredible, right? I, I I'm not going to go through the rest of it, but you but the but just maybe I'll skip ahead a little bit, right? So and this is what Chazal is saying that when Aaron died, Hainu Shishamasha Nistalek is towards the end, Vuhusar Aaron Klomar Hashalom Ve'Aftos BeIsrael. That's what it means that when Aaron died, and I think that Shmuel played very much that same role, right? That Shmuel is the one who was able to bring the people of Israel together to anoint the king in the first place. He's the one who was able to bring them together as a nation, right? So when Shmuel dies, right, this is a relatively new thing that we were one real nation. It was Shmuel's lifetime, which, so when he was a young man, maybe 20-something years old, that's when he started doing it. So what, for 30 years we were, you know, maybe 30 years we had started to be more together. It's a very, you know, tenuous thing that Am Yisrael was together. And now all of a sudden Shmuel dies and, and already we're pulling apart at the seams, okay? So that's, that's another reason why we're told that, that, that Shmuel dies here, because this is essential to the story, to understanding the story. Uh, the, these real tzaddikim who can bring peace, right? They're, they're, they're the ones that we're yearning for, right? We have a lot of rabbis. I don't, need, I don't think we need any more rabbis. We have more, we have more rabbis than cats in Israel. But we, we, need, <laughs> we need people who are going to bring peace to Am Yisrael, be able to bring Am Yisrael together, right? I think that's what we really need. Right? We, need, we need more Rav Cooks. We need more Lubavitcher Rebbe's. Those are the people that we need for Am Yisrael. Um, now, it's interesting. The Plishtim are coming to attack. But this has happened before, right? Don't we fight them all the time? Shaul has fought them many times. And they don't have Goliath this time. Goliath is dead, right? Remember David took his head all around to all the different cities of Israel? I love that image, right? Um, so, and we have a strong army. Right? Shaul, one of his great accomplishments was that he trained the people of Israel and turned us into a real army, right? He was like the George Washington Lahavdil of, of Am Yisrael, right? When it started, there were two swords, right? Him and, and Yonatan had swords and nobody else had a sword because the Plishtim had all the, the weapons, right? And they, had, they were in control of the uh, smithies, right? the metalworking, right? That was it. And he turned them into a real army. And now all of a sudden he's afraid what's going on. Why is he, why is he panicking? Says the Malbim, Vayar Shaul, Vayar Vayacharadibo, number seven, Sha'arataha Yanacholni Boba Tuach Bishut Shmuel. Because until now, even though Shmuel was so angry at him and they had their whole big falling out, nevertheless, Shaul was, could, could rely upon the fact when you have somebody like Shmuel, an all time great who's among your people, you feel safer. Without Shmuel, they, he felt bereft and alone and terrified. Right? Very frightening. Um, this is, a, this is a real, you know, very, it's very painful. Um, and and, and Rav, Rav Sternbach, he writes, number eight, right, when, remember when Yaakov was afraid before Esav, right? So Rashi tells us, why was Yaakov afraid when he was about to meet Esav? Shema, right, that maybe I sinned and maybe I don't, no longer have Hashem's protection. It says, meaning that Yaakov wasn't afraid that, that Esav had 400 men, that he was so powerful. He was afraid because he thought maybe he sinned. That maybe now Hashem would pay, you know, he would be, because it's a dangerous situation, that Hashem would punish him and allow Esav to hurt him because of his sins. Right? This is the way that a tzaddik is supposed to feel. That even during a dangerous time, like the time that we're in right now, that they shouldn't be afraid of what might happen from our enemies. Right? The, the, main, the only thing to be afraid of are our own sins. That should be the, that's the only thing to be afraid of, like Yaakov Avinu was. So that's how, that, that's how Yaakov Avinu saw it, right? A true tzaddik sees that way. But, so Shmuel never feared the plishtim because Shmuel, Shmuel's this holy tzaddik, a holy prophet. He knew his fate doesn't rest in their hands, but his fate rests in the hands of Hashem, right? And he, he understood that fully. Um, but did, what about Shaul, right? Shaul knows that he has sin. Shaul is weighed down with sin. What sin in particular? The Kohanim of Nov, yeah, he slaughtered an entire, the entire city of Nov, the whole town, 85 Kohanim, right, the whole town of Nov. So he's, he's living with that terror, right? But I couldn't, I couldn't help but, but uh, share this piece from Rav Cook because I don't know, I just, I, these kind of, Rav Cook just like, like electrifies me, you know? 
He says, he says, Hineni, on the first slide, just amazing. He says, Hineni Rakroela Hosif. I want to just add here as a throwaway in a letter. This is just a letter he's writing. Uh, we should all write letters like this. Kimore Chalev, right? That, that to have fear, to be afraid. That's one of the forbidden character traits, to be, to be one of these, to be a scaredy cat. It's forbidden. Right? And, and he says that fear comes from this sadness and this exhaustion, this like moral, spiritual exhaustion that we have to like be careful of as if it was poison, right? We have to stay away from these things, from despair, from, you know, from exhaustion. Like, see, I don't mean being physically tired at the end of the day, but this like, you know, I'm tired of life, kind of, right? And, and this is true both as individuals, but also as a nation. When a nation is afraid, when a nation, right? And we've been too afraid for a long time in this country. Right now, there's been a, I think, a, an awakening and a, you know, throwing off the shackles of fear, right? And I, I, we've been inspired by all the heroes who ran down on October 7th with a pistol in their pocket, right? And ran to try to, to, to protect Am Yisrael, right? How can you be afraid after that, right? I mean, right, so we're, if we're afraid, we're embarrassed now, right? How could you be, right? The, right? These heroes, we're surrounded by heroes. So he says, Hamushe Gvura Anuchayevim Liot. We have to be right, like armed with 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 great gvura. Because we know that our all of our kavana, what we are doing now in this war, right? It's as if Rav Cook is writing at this moment, everything is pure. What we are fighting is one thousand percent pure. All of our right, it's a Yeshara, Nuchachao, Neged Hashem Darkenu. Right? We are, you talk about a righteous war. You can't think of a more righteous war than what we're doing right now. We're fighting an evil population. We're fighting a malik. Right? God forbid that we should want to be yotze, right? To make everybody, all the, all the people around, all the nations of the world, that, that we should be okay in their eyes, right? As if that's a goal. Right, that they should all give us their, their stamp of approval. Okay, you good Jewish boys and girls. It's okay, right? Even the good ones, even the chavivot u'meshubachot, right? Even the praiseworthy nations like, like America, forget all the evil ones, but I'm saying even the good ones, America is still overall a nation of kindness, right? I don't know what it'll be in 20 years, but right now, still overall a fundamentally good place, right? And, but even the good ones, we shouldn't, give, we shouldn't give a damn what they think, right? That's what Rav Cook is saying. That's a problem, right? That comes from fear. That these are all connected. Right? And, and in general, and with this in mind, right? If we have this gvura and trust in Hashem, we can trust in, in our success. Right? right? Our goal is only to bring nachas ruach to the one above and not to, uh, to everybody around us. Now, what was Shaul's great great failure? What was his great character flaw? You know, what led him to sin? What did, what, all that whole, the whole disaster. Caring what everybody thinks, right? He's the king who cares what everybody thinks. That's why he did not do what Hashem said with Amalek, because the people didn't want to kill all those animals. Because how, right? How could you kill the king? You captured him. It's not nice to kill the king after you, the king, after you captured him. And it was the same thing before when he didn't wait, right? He, did, he was supposed to wait to bring the korban till Shmuel came. And he didn't because the people, the people, the people were saying, we got to bring the korban, right? Everything was always about what the people were thinking, right? When you fall into that trap, you fall into, as what Rav Kook says here, right? You fall into morech halev, fear. And that's exactly where Shaul finds himself now in the beginning of chapter 28, right? If only we, right, we, we, could, use, we could use Rav Kook today, right? We need another Rav Kook. We need Rav Kook alive right now. Um, and last, finally, just, uh, I know we've been on this for a while, but it's, uh, I find it so interesting. It says the Malbum number 10, a fourth reason. It says, Right? If Shmuel was alive, Shaul would have had, you know, who, who to turn to, right? I mean, when a great man dies, it, it leads, to, leads to confusion among the people, right? Think about Chabad, right? One of the most amazing forces for good, you know, in Am Yisrael's history. What, what Chabad is, a, I'm only here because of Chabad. My parents are from through Chabad. But what happened after the Rebbe died, 
probably in retrospect should have been predict- should have been predictable, right? All the craziness and the confusion and the infighting, you know, the Rebbe Mashiach and all this kind of ins- all the whole insanity that occurred, right? Because there was a vacuum, right? It's natural, right? And to, and to a degree, right? The, the fact that now Shmuel, Shaul has fallen to such a terrible low to go to a sorceress. Right? It's, to be un- it's to be expected. Right? I think we have to, to recognize the impact, that, even in our own time. Right? So when, Shmu- when, Sh- when Shmuel dies, when Aaron dies, these terrible things happen. But even when the Lubavitcher Rebbe died, right, he was the closest thing we had at that moment in, that, in our generation. He was the Gadol, uh, more than the Gadol Dor. He was the Manhik Hador. Right? He was the leader of all of Jews, of all Jews everywhere. He was worried about a reformed Jew, you know, like in you know, in, the, in South Africa somewhere. Like, he, he doesn't, he, it was everyone, right? So when he died, the whole world became deeply confused and lost. So what is Shaul's dilemma, right? Number 11, let's get into the Pesukim. Vayishal Shaul Hashem. Shaul inquires of Hashem. Velo anahu Hashem. God didn't answer him. Gam b'chalumot, gam ba'urim, gam ba'neviyim. Right? He's not answered in dreams through the Urim Vitumim, through prophets. There's nothing. Nobody can, is answering him. Nothing. Why, why didn't Hashem answer him? Ah, well. Meaning that's why he went to somebody else, because Hashem didn't answer him. Exactly. Right. Because, so Hashem doesn't answer him. Now, why does Hashem not answer him? Because... Because of his sins, right? Because of what he's, what he's done, as we'll talk, right? This is exact. You know, that's the thing with the Urim Vitumim. The Urim Vitumim are not like a, you know, electronic device. You know, you go and you, you, you ask what you have to ask. You press a few buttons and then it answers you. It's not like the eight ball, the magic eight ball, right? You always get some answer. It might be stupid, but you get an answer, right? The Urim Vitumim only works with the right people in the right moment for the, if you're in the right level. So the Shaul HaMelech is no longer on the level where he can go to the Urim Vitumim. It's close to him. It was already anointed, right? Right. So this is confusing a little bit because the Urim Vitumim were with da- were with David, right. right? And why? How is it that Shaul was able to ask the Urim Vitumim? I don't know. That I don't know. I had the same question, but it says very explicitly that he asked the Urim Vitumim. Were there two Urim Vitumim? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, but it, no, nothing worked. But nothing. Absolutely nothing worked. Um, and so he goes to his servants and he says, Bakshuli eshed balat ov. So find me a balat ov, right? A woman who can, uh, you know, bring up the dead. So I can go to her and ask of her. There is a woman in, in Eindor. So Shaul, you know, changes his clothing. He takes off his, his, his royal clothing. Puts on other clothing. Regular people stuff. So he goes with his two men. Right? He's not going with his entourage. He's trying to pretend that he's not the king. Right? You know, so do this divination for me and bring up a ghost so I, and I'll tell you who to bring up. And the woman said, She doesn't know that she's talking to Shaul. And she says, Don't you know what Shaul has done? How he has gotten rid of every one of the, the sorcerers, all these diviners. He got rid of all of them. To Shaul's credit. Right? Oh, Shaul did a great job of getting rid of idolatry from the land. So why are you trying to... You're like, you're like laying a trap for me. Right? It's... Uh, you know, what are you trying to do? You're setting me up over here that I, so I can get arrested and put to death by Shaul. Shaul swears to her by God's name, saying, Right? <laughs> by God's name, right? nothing will happen to you. So who should I bring up? And he said, it's Shmuel Ha'alili. Wow. So bring me up Shmuel. Right? I guess everybody knows who Shmuel is. Right? He just died. The woman sees Shmuel, because she does, she does what she's supposed to do. But Tizak Bekol Gadol, and she cries out with a loud voice. Why did you trick me? Because only then did she realize that he was Shaul, that Shmuel was coming to talk to Shaul. Because only at that last moment he said Shmuel, and it all started, and it all clicked for her. It all made sense, which is really, you know, so just incredible. So, you know, Shaul has fallen so far now that he swears by God's name when he's about to do a terrible sin, which is to talk to, to use divination, which is forbidden by the Torah, right? Vayishavala Shaul Bahashem, Chai Hashem. I mean, it's insane, 
Right? It's like somebody who's like, you know, saying Baruch Hashem as they go to the prostitute. You know, the prostitute says to you, you know, how, you, know, you having a good day? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Ah, oh, thank you, Hashem. Oh, here I am with you. It's wonderful. <laughs> what, what is that? It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy, right? I mean, what is he doing? He's, right? it's, it's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. You've got to wonder if it's such a, a terrible thing to use these uh, ovim, then, uh, then why did it work? Ah, so we're coming to that. Okay. So, so says, uh, but, but another thing to point out just in these words here, which is so interesting, Shaul, Shaul, right? That he changes, changes his clothing, right? But, but it says, says Vayikarabah, right? The Medrash, Nasa Chapshi Lamalcha. When he's changing his clothing, he's taking off his royal garments, right? He's, been, he's freeing himself of, the, of, of his role as king. Right? This is part of the ending of Shaul. Right? There's something very symbolic about this. Right? He's not just changing his clothing, but he's taking off his royal clothing. Something very profound that's happening here. Um, you know, like it's, it's, it's wild, right? Because a key part of a Jewish king's responsibility is to remove the ovot and the yidonim, which is exactly what Shaul did, cleansing the land of sorcery right? and instilling faith in the people, in Hashem. Right? But now he's reversing course and going to these people. He's essentially admitting that he is no longer the true king of Israel. Right? That's why it's Vayitcha Shaul, that he takes off his clothing. Because the act of going to the Ov and the Yidoni right, is, is, in a sense, an admission that I'm done. Right? Um, and it's interesting, because if you compare this, in number 15, to, to when Yonatan and David, back in happier times, right? Right, that Yonatan made a, made a covenant with David because he loved him. And he took off the clothing that was on him and he gave it to David, his sword, his bow, everything. He gave him his royal garments. Right? We talked about how incredible that was that Yonatan would do such a thing. But there, right, Yonatan did it of his own free will. Right? He did it with dignity. Right? And it's considered one of the great moments in all of Jewish history, that Yonatan willingly was going to hand it over his claim because he's Shaul's son. He's the oldest son. He's the one who's going to be the next king and he's giving it over to David. Shaul, on the other hand, right, how, how does he give over his clothing? He's pulling off his clothing in the middle of the night so he can go and talk to a sorceress, right? It's like a dark and depressing and sad and de- you know, way, to, way to go. It's so interesting, the, the theme of the clothing because you have the tearing of the robe then you have, um, you have, you have. Uh, I'm not sure which came first. I, I forget when David cuts off the piece of his robe. Yeah. And now you have he changes his clothes. And there's even more if you remember with with uh, in chapter 17 with Goliath. That when David volunteers to go fight, they try to he tries to put on his you know royal garment, puts his royal garments on David, right? His to, to go into fight, and then David says, "But this doesn't fit me." Your royal clothing, your way of being king, is not my way of being king, right? Sort of like, you know, the rabbi before me with his suits and fancy ties and all the thing, you know. And I'm, you know, I, that's not my way to be the, not my way to be the king <laughs> of the shul here. You know, I have a different way, my own way, right? And and it was a gentle way of saying, I don't want your way, Shaul, right? But it's not, but it doesn't just end there because the clothing. Look at the next passage, number, right? Look at sixteen. Right and Vayomer uh, Lahamelech. So the kid, so he says to her, "Al tiri, kimara Right, don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman says to Shaul, "Elokim ra'iti olimina aretz." I see a god. I see God coming up out of the earth. Vayomer la mata aro. And right, she saw him, but he couldn't. Vatomer ishza kenoled. That it's an old man who comes up. Vuhu ote meil. Right. Remember, this is Shmuel's signature clothing. Right, like John Fetterman in his sweatshirt, right? The senator, you know this guy. You know about this guy, Fetter. We used to think he was a dope, and now we now he's a hero, right? <laughs> he had a stroke, and he still beat the Republican in, in in Pennsylvania. He became he's the new senator from Pennsylvania, even after he had a stroke, and he couldn't like he couldn't debate. He could hardly talk. They still voted him in, um, but. And we, whatever, everybody thought he was just like a dummy, you know? I mean, not just because of the stroke, but he wasn't exactly... Anyway, he's a guy, he, only, he like walked into the Senate, not in a suit, but in like wearing like a hoodie. Like that's his thing. He always walks around in a hoodie. 
shorts. And shorts. Like I'm saying, like the guy, I, I don't know what else, like it's like he's laughable. It's only since October 7th, and he's like one of the Democrats who's standing strong for the Jewish people. He was at the rally, so he can wear all the hoodies he wants. Who cares, right? He's on our team, right? He's our, he's our dope now, right? Thank, thank God for Fetterman. <laughs> so, but I'm saying, that's like his signature look. So Shmuel was always, from the time he was a little boy, remember? Chana made him a me'il. Every year she brought him a new me'il because he got a little bit bigger when she came to the, to the Mishkan, right? So here he is with his me'il. So what's interesting is Shmuel, he wears the same clothing all through his life. And even after he dies, he's still wearing that me'il up in heaven, right? Unbelievable. He's consistent. Shmuel, right, doesn't have any, he doesn't have to take off his clothing, right? Shaul is the one who has to take off his clothing. And Shmuel, by contrast, is still wearing his me'il. I think it's all very purposeful. It's all really, really interesting. When you start, like as you said, paying attention to the clothing imagery is fascinating. And he's aged. He was only 54, but he's an ish zakin. That's right. He got old early. He got old fast. That was, that was tough. Yeah, yeah. Shaul all the time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, clothing is the, is the cloak that uh, hides reality from him. Right. Yeah. But it, so on the one hand, it, it hides reality, but it's also, and this is the fascinating thing about clothing, it also yeah. expresses the clothing is the man, right? It's, our, it's how we tell, show ourselves to the world. So there's, there's, right on Purim, we usually talk about clothing as a, you know, like as a screen, right? It's like, it's hiding what's really true. And in this case, we're talking about it as the opposite, right? As, as the expression of who this person really is. It's very interesting, right? The same the same thing can be opposite. Can be two opposites. Just like the word arom, arum, right? Is both uh, naked, but also like the nachash was arum. He was very devious, which sly, which is the opposite of naked. The, re- right? the reason that Shmuel Navi's cloak was the same when he was dead as when he was alive is that there was no hiding his reality. There was no. He was. Uh, he was who he was, right? Yeah, he was very, exactly. That's who Shmuel was. He didn't have to, in the Olam HaEmes, right? In the world of truth, in the next world, he's still the he same the Shmuel. Same as he was here. Exactly right, exactly right. Um, and it says also, which is another point here, Vayivo El Ha'isha Laila, that he went, right, to this woman at night, Laila Ha'ya, was this really nighttime? But the moment was like a dark moment, right? It was broad daylight. But for, for Shaul, right, this is a, a very d- dark and painful time. But who are these Ovot and Yedonim, right? This is your question. And it, it's fascinating. Like, what is, who are, it's like, for us, it's hard to relate to this stuff, right? Except maybe in a couple of creepy movies, you know, they, they still do these kinds of things, right? I, does this still happen in real life? Maybe. I don't know. There are people who still try to do these kinds of, yeah, they do these kind of wacky things, right? Probably now that Christianity is on the decline in America, there'd be more and more of this wacky stuff. That's what happens. It's like a return to paganism. So who are these diviners and necromancers? So we have, we have Psukim, right? The, the Pasuk in Vayikra, 18, Do not turn to these uh, ghosts or the familiar spirits. Don't be defiled by them. So Rashi says, That's a diviner who raises the spirit of the dead and, which, and then speaks from, from the diviner's armpit. Right? Betashechi, right? From the armpit. Okay, interesting. And what is the Yidoni, says Rashi? Hamachnis etzem chayash eshma yadua letoch piv vahetzem medaber. So a Yidoni, someone who puts the bone of a creature called a Yidoa, whatever that animal is, and they put that bone in their mouth, and then the bone speaks. All very creepy stuff. Okay? Very, very, very interesting. Right, so then Ibn Ezra says, right, that Yidonim comes from Migizrat Da'at. It comes from the word Da'at, right? Shivakshu la Da'at ha'atido, because people want to know. Why do you do this creepy stuff? Because human beings have an intense desire to know what's coming down the pike, right? Don't we all wish we would know? I don't know, maybe not, because maybe we're all tamimim Hashem alokechem. But uh, that none of us have, don't have, all right, not me, not me, not me. I don't have that Yitzhahara, right? I don't want to know what's going to happen. Of course I want to know what's going to happen in the future. It's the most natural thing. It, but you have to work hard as a Jew, right, to get, get beyond that, not to live in, uh, in, in oh, constantly worrying about the future, as we'll see. Now, the first, what's the key question with all of this stuff? 
the Ovot and the Yidonim. What's the big question? Is it real? That's the question. And since it's a big question, of course, the Jews argue about it, right? We have a lot of different views on this question, precisely this question. So the Ibn Ezra, he says in 22, he says, Rekei moach amru emet gam He says, the empty heads say that obviously this must be real to some degree, because otherwise Hashem would not have forbidden it. If it's all garbage, right? Hashem didn't, doesn't, we don't have a, 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 you know, thousands of mitzvahs in the Torah all telling us, you know, how this is forbidden, that, that idiocy is forbidden, that, right? There, all these things that are stupid, we, Hashem doesn't forbid them all. They're, they don't work, they're stupid. Ah, so depends on, on how you look at it, right? Is, it, is avodah, just, avodah Zara just foolishness or is it Avodah, it's real Avodah that is Zara that went off in the wrong direction? That maybe there is something there, but it's wrong, right? That you shouldn't go to it, right? There are different ways of looking at it. So the, the rationalist approach right here, the Ibn Ezra is this, this approach. And he says, ah, that's all wrong. Right? Quite the opposite. Hashem would not forbid that which is real. Hashem is forbidding us from turning to Sheker. Right? He says, uh, if, if I, I don't want to go on about this, I would have explained the incident of this whole situation with, with Shaul and Shmuel. Unfortunately, he didn't go on about it. I would, I would have liked for him to go on about it and to tell us, what does this mean? Did this not happen? Right? But the Ibn Ezra said, I'm not, I'm not explaining that right now. I know that that's, that's going to be your, your question on me. If it's not real, then what happened in this story? Right? Shmuel comes and he's about to talk to, to Shaul. <laughs> We're going to read about this. So how do we understand it? But he goes, it's all fake. It's all garbage. It's all garbage. It all came true. Okay. So, but nevertheless, that's what the Ibn Ezra says. Yeah. Uh, the um, he says it's all garbage. He says it's garbage. Exactly here. How, how do you explain the Paroi and the what they did with Moshe? Uh, is that Avot and Yidonim? Not necessarily. Those were miracles from Hashem. That uh, he threw the snake on the ground, the no, staff no. on the ground, and became a snake. No, but the the, the Oh, the Chartumim. Yeah. Good question. Good question. Yeah, obviously, it works. Perhaps, although I don't know if witchcraft is quite the same thing as, as this. Or does it work? Is it what you want to hear? Or no, no, turn, turn the water to blood. That, was, that happened. They did it. Yeah. So, yeah well, it's a good they question. They also yeah. made the uh, snake. Whatever you call Though it's not quite the exact same thing. Meaning here, he says that this is not real. Okay. And yet we have chapter 28 in, in Sefer Shmuel, right? How do we understand that, right? He doesn't really, he says, I'm not going to explain right now. Right? But this is all emptiness. This is all fake. That's what the Ibn Ezra says. The Ramban, however, argues. The Ramban says, Rabim yitchastu banechashim. You can look, there's English on the next page. It's very long. I don't know if we're going to go through it all because as usual, I'm running late. Um, so th- there are many who, you know, Rabim yitchastu banechashim lomar she'ein bahem emet klal. There are many who are, you like to say, like, ah, all this stuff is, is garbage. It's not, none of it's real. Kimiya gidla o revela gur ma'yiyahu. I wouldn't even get to tell a raven or a crane you know, you, like birds and all these kinds of like wacky things that the sorcerers and diviners do. Is there anything there? But we, but we however, we cannot um, deny matters that have been publicly demonstrated in front of others, right? We have a parak here that tells us about Shmuel and Shaul. In the end of the day, what are you going to do about that? You got, like, you got to grapple with it. Um, our rabbis did admit that there is some, there's something real here, that this does work. Um, in Elish Mot Rabbah, it says, that the, the, the bird of the heavens can carry the voice of, from above. This whole tiarin is, the, uh, is the, some of this the diviner kind of stuff with birds. So how do we understand this? So if it is real, what does that mean? How could this be? Why is it forbidden? So... I'll, I'll, the translation is just easier if I read it. We've already made known the constellations, the mazalot, have lords that lead them. These are the souls of the circuits of the spheres. 
Um, and the lords of the tail and the head of Ares are near the earth. These being termed the princes of the quiver that make the future known. That there is a way to tap into the mazalot, the constellations, and to find out about the near future. Things that are coming because that's, even though, right, there is something real there. That's the point. That these sorcerers, these ovot and yidonim, know how to tap into these things. Right? It's, it's obviously not Hashem. Right, it's some. It's very it's some lower manifestation. I don't. I'm not even going to try to explain what are the constellations in the Mazalot. I'm not the right guy to do that. That's not my zone. But but uh, but there's something here that's real, and that you can learn about what's happening in the future. That this is a real thing. Um, now you won't know the the distant future. Not like the prophets that we have that, you know, that they gave us prophecies thousands of years in the future that are coming true today before our eyes, right? That, that's not the kind of thing that you could do with a bird and a diviner and a sorceress or anything like that. They might tell you, be able to tell you something that's about to happen because that's in the mazalot. That's like, it's, since it's close, they can tap into that and they can tell you what's going to happen. But they can't see anything deeper in, in the future. Um, and that's, you know, mehem bekol ha'of, Right, so sometimes they use the uh, the voice of a bird. They, they use the with, the with the dead, right? All these kinds of things that we're talking about, right? That that's how it works. I'm going to skip. Uh, I'll skip just a few lines. So when the the pasuk you know refers to these things as we'll see, you know, with really very strong language, how terrible these things are, abominations. Right, because the goyim that you're gonna that are in the land of Israel that you're gonna be living near, right? Because you didn't uh, do what I said, you didn't get rid of all of them, right? So you're gonna you're gonna see that they do all this stuff, they do all this sorcery, right? Right, that this is their chachma that they know to be able to see the future. but you, my people of Israel, right? This is this is not given to you. Nebuchadnezzar, they don't have prophets. They don't have Shmuel Hanavi. Right? They, don't have, they don't have all the holy people that Am Yisrael has that we can turn to, the Nevi'im. But you have that. So why would you possibly turn to these lowly, gross things? This is not the way of Am Yisrael. Meaning the Ramban is saying, this is real, but it's, it's limited in its ability, but it's still real. But it's not for Am Yisrael. That's not our approach. That's not for us. Hashem doesn't want us to tap into this. Right, this is Shafel, right? That we should take something from the stars. The whole idea of Am Yisrael is that we have a direct relationship with the one above. That's the whole uniqueness of the people of Israel, right? Is that we all saw Hashem at Har Sinai, right? We all did. We don't need Ovot and Yedonim. That's a rejection of the of the uniqueness of the people of Israel. Right? We don't need to go to a priest, right, and confess our sins to a priest. Right? We, we talk to Hashem, we do vidui, Hashem nu bagadnu, we talk straight to Hashem. Right? We don't need to do that, that's not the way of Am Yisrael. What about Mikubala? Oh boy, Mikubala, all right, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not, I mean, look, we, I mean, look, we, we have Nevi'im, meaning Hashem said, it doesn't mean that we could, they're all Nevi'im, that we still have to go to the Navi, right, but, the Navi is, you know, brings us direct to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now, the Mikubalim, I don't know. I'm not going to get in. I'm not going to go down that road because again, that's not really my zone. Um, although we, it was always interesting. I always did struggle with it a lot because because uh, Livingston is a wealthy neighborhood, and when you have a wealthy neighborhood, the Mikubalim come a lot. You know, so so it was like, how do I deal with this? Do I want to speak to these people? Do I not? Like I wouldn't go. To, like, like, I wouldn't necessarily go travel to see them, but like if they're like two doors down, should I go see? I don't know. If I don't go, it's an insult. It was like a whole question. I had to like grapple with all of this, but it's, a, it's definitely very, very interesting. Um, so this is a real thing. The Malibum goes in a sim- similar direction, but I'm not going to read it inside. But, but you see the strong language in 25, 26, in Bayikra and Devarim, that if, if you do this, you'll be cut off from your people, kares. Right, mo, right, that, and that for the over yidoni, mot yumatu, that we put these people to death. And the strongest of all in, uh, in Devarim, kitoavat Hashem. It's an abomination to go to these people. Right, so, so why is it so terrible? If it's real, 
right? If it's real, even if it's not real, right? So, okay, people do a lot of stupid things, right? Like, why is it so terrible, such an abomination to go to these ovot and to these yidonim? And, and we're also commanded time and time again, right? This, this is repeated several times, right? Like, this is in particular something that a Kodesh Baruch Hu hates. So why is that, right? So there's several reasons for why it's so terrible, right? There's a lot here. There's a lot to go through. The Rambam, he says in number 27, this is what has destroyed us and our base Amikdash and sent us to exile. This is like the root evil that has caused so much of our suffering. This is Avodazara. Um, as we said in Avodah people think that this is the great wisdom and this has tremendous toelis. It's going to help us and going to save us. So they didn't like focus on, you know, maybe building up a strong army because they thought that this kind of divination stuff is somehow going to save them. And not just that, of course, they didn't, they weren't Osek in Torah. So the Rambam is, is likely like the, you know, like the Ibn Ezra, views all this as foolishness, as emptiness, as false. Not, none of this is real. And why is it so terrible? Because there's nothing more terrible than, right, than to throw away our Torah, to throw away the greatest treasure that mankind has ever been given for garbage. Right? That, that's, according to the Rambam, that's why this is so, so terrible. Um, right, then instead of you know relying on Hashem and, uh, and true wisdom, we're, we're going for falsehood. But there's a, another approach, says Rav Hirsch. Well, the mental and moral defilement which is sought by the Ov and the Yedonian in consulting them are the absolute opposite of that sanctity which forms the contents of this chapter, which is nothing other than the freest placing with complete consciousness of what one is doing and completely of one's own free will. Meaning, what he's saying in very fancy translated language from the German right, is that with an Ovenidoni, you go to an Ovenidoni because you want to know what's going to happen in the future. But is that really the way of Amistrel? What's, what's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen in the future is based upon my free will. That's Kedusha, right? The whole essence of Kedusha, everything that, all of Yiddishkeit is built upon free will. And if you, when you have this fatalistic approach and you go to an Ovenidoni, as if that's going to tell you what's going to be, right? That's it. I don't have to do anything because I know what's going to happen, right? That's, that's a rejection of the foundation of all of Torah, right? And that makes a lot of sense, right? Then because if, if, if you're going to an oven, you don't need, then you basically throw out the entire, everything. The whole thing goes out the window because the most fundamental premise of Yiddishkeit is, is free will. Well, isn't that true of all the prophecies that we hear? Elijah, all the others. Ah, very good. Very, very good. Um, so Cesar of Castile. Okay, it's like, I, it's like I planted you. It's amazing, right? No, it's, a, it's actually, no, it's a great question, right? Why, so isn't a Navi the same thing? Not at all. Ah, so very good. So that's not true. The Urm Vitumim tells you what to do. It doesn't tell you what will happen. That's very different. David, we know from David, because David is really the one who uses the Urm Vitumim more than anyone else. Right? He says, Hashem, should I do this or should I not? Should I go there? Should I not go there? Hashem says, go there. Hashem doesn't say what's going to happen when you go there. Hashem, he's looking for specific guidance and he's told, this is what you should do. Um, but listen to what Rav Kashtiel says. It says, When the king talks to the Navi, he turns to the Navi or goes to the Urim V'tumim, He wants to know what he's supposed to do in a very specific way. Not just to know what's going to happen in the future, right? Remember, like, Back to the Future, number two, right? He has the sports book, right? He knows who won all the sports games. He can win all the bets, right? Remember that? Um, Biff, Biff. Biff, thank you, Biff, right? That's not, that's not why we go to a Navi, so that we can know, you know, what, what sports team to bet on. That's not what it's about. Um, it's, it's because we're going for a very specific, for clear, we need guidance, Right? Of course, because we have free will, we have doubts. And so we're looking for guidance, right? And we all look for guidance from, from people, from books, wherever we look. 
But it's a key difference. It's not about what will happen, but rather what am I supposed to do? That's the right question that a Jew asks himself or herself. What am I supposed to do? What will happen? That's not my business. So what about all the end days prophecies that I said I was reading and learning about? They're generally talking a very broad way and very much in the big picture, right? That's certainly true, right? I mean, that's what's great about it. Like if you, you can like interpret it in so many different ways, it's part of the fun. But the meaning, but, that, but say many of the Mepharshim, that's, the high, that's why Nevu is written that way because it can be changed because there are many different ways it can, it can end up being true. It will be true because it's, it's Nevuah. So there, it gives us general guidelines of what will happen, but you can't really know looking at Tsefania or at Yoel exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to go down, right? I mean, anyone who says they can run very far away, right? You know, you can, you can analyze and try to, you know, in retrospect, you can see that Zechariah 9 is all about what's happening with, uh, with Gaza, right? I mean, we can see that. I'm sorry, I realize it's already late. Um, and I went overboard. I apologize. But uh, I didn't get anywhere near the end here. But, um, but you can see, right? I mean, in retrospect, that how it came true and how, it, and, and how you can read that in the Navi, and that's what, that's what happened. But it very much absolutely leaves a place for free will for Bechira. There's no question. And when there's a dark nevuah, that if you do this, punishment's going to come. But if we do tshuva, it doesn't. Right? And that's clear with all the nevuah, that it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. So in that sense, it's very different than the ovot and the yidonim. Um, you know, there's a lot more here. I don't want to go keep everybody late, but, you know, the Sefer Chinuch talks about it leads to a lack of trust in Hashem, right? Because our whole job, and this is, you know, it's so important. Rashi says in 31, Tamim tiyei Hashem alokecha. It tells us, don't listen to the ov and the yidoni. Don't go to them. Rather, you should be tamim im Hashem alokecha. What does that mean to be tamim? A Jew should not stress about the future. That's not our job. Whatever comes upon you in your life, you, accept, you try to accept with tamimut. So the whole idea of I need to know what's going to happen in the future implies a deep lack of faith in Hashem. Right? It's a deep lack of faith. The whole, the whole idea of it. Right? A navi is not there to tell you what's going to happen in the future. That's not really the primary goal of a Navi is to be like a, is like a religious history teacher, to interpret history for us, to tell us, uh, try to help us understand what Hashem is, the messages that Hashem is giving us that maybe we wouldn't see on our own. Or it helps us interpret the events that are happening. But it's not really about the future. It tells us in a general vague way that Hashem has a plan. But what's going to be? We don't, no one really knows. Nobody knows how this is going to go down. Who would have thought Right, that, that a secular atheist Jews and Christian Zionists would be the ones who brought us back to Israel. Right? Like, they're the ones who did it. It wasn't, wasn't the religious Jews, <laughs> by and large. Right? Who would have thought? Nobody, nobody could have ever come up with that. And it wasn't our job to know. Hashem has a plan. Right? We don't need to know exactly how it's going to be. We need to know what we're meant to do. That, that is the, that's the goal of Am Yisrael. That's our, we're, and we're people of life. We're not a people of death. That's the, uh, that's the last idea here. As I want to, I, I really I have to finish. I apologize. But we're, we're the people of life. We don't turn to dead spirits. That's not who we are. That's Tuma. We know, right? Dead, right a, a, a dead body is impure. Fundamentally, that's not where we look for our guidance. We look to the people of life, to a Navi who's alive. Um, and so I think I, I probably should pause, it should end it here. But uh, anyone want to take two more minutes? Is that okay? No? You're not going to say no. You'd want to make me feel bad. But. Uh, Number 35, how about this? Anyone can leave. Feel free to leave. We'll finish in two minutes. But in number 35, this goes through the end here. Shmuel tells Shaul, why have you brought me up? Why have you, you know, brought me back from the dead? And what happens? I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. What can I do? Um, why have you brought me up from the dead? What's happening? What are you doing to me? Right? So, so Shaul said, I tried, right? I tried to speak. I tried, you know, I, I went to, you know, I went to, uh, the Navi, and I went here and I didn't get an answer. But what, but what Shaul does not say is that he went to the Urim Vitumim. In the beginning of the, of the chapter, it says he went to the Urim Vitumim. But now when he talks to Shmuel, he doesn't mention the Urim Vitumim because he's embarrassed. Because, why, right, how could he talk about the Urim Vitumim? He killed all these Kohanim, right? He's embarrassed to say that before Shmuel, right? But Shmuel tells him 
So what do you want from me? Right? What's going to happen? Right? So he starts ripping into him. You didn't listen to the voice of Hashem with a malik. And so Hashem is going to deliver you to the plishtim. And he says, Umachar ata uvanecha imi. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me on this side. Right? You're, gonna, you're going to die in this battle. Um, and it's, it's, so, it's so, so, so painful. But there's actually a, a, there's a, some, there's a silver lining here. There's a silver lining here because, and if you can skip ahead, I won't, I won't read through everything here, but uh, Shaul is accepting his judgment. It says in Vayikarab in source 40, he says, right, that there's, a, there's something, you know, between the lines here. What if I run away? What if I don't go to battle? Right? Will I survive? So Shmuel said, if you run away, you will be saved. However, but if you accept God's judgment and you go into battle and you die in the battlefield, then tomorrow you and your sons will be with me, meaning you'll be in Olam Haba in heaven together with me. This will be your tshuva. And to Shaul's credit, what does Shaul do? Right? He falls over. He's depressed at first and he pulls himself together. Right? And he goes into battle with his sons. Can you imagine? Going with your sons, knowing that this is about to happen. His sons don't know, but he knows. His sons were not with him, but he knows. And this is, this is, Shaul, this is Shaul's tshuva. Right? He, instead of you know, running away, right, in the end, he pulls himself together one last time. And with great heroism, he accepts God's judgment upon himself. And uh, the only difference is, you know, this, we see the final difference between him and David and Melech, as we'll see. Um, you know, he doesn't cry out to Hashem for mercy. He, right? Oy, woe to me. God's going to kill me. And then he accepts his judgment, which is very courageous and holy. But David Amelech, whenever something terrible happens, what does he do? He never gives up hope in Hashem. Right? Shaul doesn't even think that he has the right to call out to Hashem. He doesn't have that relationship with Hashem. David, despite all of his mistakes, never gives up hope and always calls out and cries out to Hashem. So we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the, uh, the dark and bitter end in the next couple of weeks, but uh, it'll come with a lot of light because it, David's day is coming. Wow. Sorry for keeping everybody late.